This is the Hack the Future podcast, the human stories behind courage, purpose, and imagination. Join your host, Terrence Mowry, who will guide you on the journey of reimagining the world as we know it. In the last two years, everything changed. People changed, technology changed, the office changed, priorities changed, and the way we work and lead changed. Today, I'm thrilled to meet Jeff Schwartz. He's the author of a hyper-relevant new book called Work Disrupted, Opportunity, Resilience and Growth in the Accelerated Future of Work. During our conversation, we'll unpack new ways to adapt pace and mindset to the new world of work and not waste the biggest reframing moment of our lifetimes. Jeff, welcome to Hack the Future podcast. Uh, How are you today? I am very well. I am in New York and it's uh, we're finally hitting spring. Yes, I love I love New York and I miss New York. And just for our listeners uh, benefit in terms of the context, we first met virtually a couple of months ago at the launch of a talent marketplace called Talent Hub for a bank in UAE. And before we dive into some of the great takeaways uh, from your new book, Work Disrupted, I just wanted to you know, dive into a conversation straight away around you know, what is a talent marketplace? Why is it entered center stage? Absolutely. It's, it's very interesting. Mm. Um, I've been very fortunate to have been uh, doing research and consulting on talent marketplaces probably for about three or four years now. Yes. Um, I did research when I was a partner at Deloitte with MIT Sloan Management Review. Mm. We actually did a series of reports, one on opportunity and talent marketplaces, one last year that was on sort of introducing the concept of workforce ecosystems. Yes. And then we have a report coming out this spring on management practices and orchestrating workforce ecosystems. So we've really been looking at this. Talent marketplaces is a very interesting and fundamental concept. Mm which basically gives employees especially and managers Mm. the ability to access and find talent and opportunities within their own organization yes i think one of the ways to think about it we uh, i work with a what we think of uh, i work with an organization um uh, that was founded uh, six years ago in Tel Aviv called Gloat. Yes, uh, yes. We see ourselves really as the pioneers, the leading pioneers mm. in the talent and career marketplace space. Mm. We, we talk about democratizing opportunity as central to what we're doing. Mm. But, but here's a way to simply summarize it or think about it. Yes. And yes. we're in the age of the great resignation or the great reshuffle. We can talk about that uh, today yes. if that's uh, as, as we're um, exploring this topic over mm. the next uh, 30 minutes. Mm. And employees, especially skilled people, mm. but people who have interests, have opportunities. Mm. The really interesting challenge today, mm. Terence, is that most employees feel that they have more and better opportunities and clearer mm. and access to opportunities mm. outside of their organization than inside of their organization. And this I saw that. I, I, I think yeah. I read one of the Gloat reports that came out recently, and I recommend uh, straight away to our listeners to check out gloat.com. Yeah. And I said the number one, re- number one reason was a, a sort of lack of internal growth opportunities. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, actually, I, I want to be true to the report. I was one of the authors of the primary authors. Yes. There, there are two reasons, the two primary reasons people leave. Now, people won't, no one will be surprised that the number one reason people leave is for money and salary. Yes. But there's nothing new about that. Mm. Um, I don't think any of us are surprised about that. Mm. Um, um, but the number two reason, and it's very much ahead of, of the other reasons that we've seen people leaving, is they're looking for growth and development mm. opportunities. Yes. People want to do interesting and new things. Mm. And the challenge is that in most organizations, it's easier to find a new and an interesting opportunity to grow mm. by going outside, by using LinkedIn, by using one of the, the external career mm. um, boards. And inside the organization, there is actually much less ability to see opportunity mm. And to sign on to opportunities. So a wasted talent, talent, wasted talent, wasted opportunities. Wasted talent, wasted opportunity, wasted potential, mm. wasted resources. Mm. So in a talent marketplace, um, an employee can see all of the different jobs that are available within their organization mm. anywhere in the company. Mm. They can see, and this is a very interesting part of this, uh, yes. Terrence, they can see all the internal projects and gigs that are available. Huh. So if they have a job, but they have a few hours a week that they want to apply their interests and their skills to another part of the organization, yes. they can spend you know half a day or a day working on a project in another area. Mm. They can find a mentor in another part of the organization. Mm. They can find learning that will help them grow. But it's about real opportunities in the organization in which you're working. And when we give people agency choice, yes. when we allow employees to explore mm. in their own company, amazing things happen, right? I, I Obviously, guess. voluntary turnover improves, Yes, right? Yes. People stay when they have opportunities. One of our, mm. and I can mention it because it was very, uh, um, it was something that um, has been published many times. Mm. Um, one of our clients is uh, Seagate Technology. The yes. CHRO of Seagate is Patricia Frost. And Patricia said at the Gloat Live session, our annual conference we had in mm. December, something like, we don't have a great resignation problem here mm. because we have a talent marketplace driven by Gloat. Because our employees can find opportunities in the organization and our managers mm. can reach out and find people anywhere in the organization who know our culture, who know how we work here, mm. right? I'll make one other point as we're getting started yes, and yes, hopefully yes. you and the listeners of this podcast will hear my excitement. Yes, I can hear A it. A talent marketplace is not simply using artificial intelligence mm. to find a needle in a haystack, mm. right? It, this is not simply about perfect matches, mm. right? Because we actually know how to find the people who have the exact skills that we have or we're getting better at it. Yes. The real part of the power here is the the potential and the dynamism of the near match. Mm. Finding people who not only have the skills, but the interests mm. to grow and move into a new area, huh. right? And that's what really increases the resources like available source. to the company. Mm. That's the secret sauce. And that's also what's exciting for individuals. Yes. yes, I know what the next stage is in my career if I'm going from a financial analyst to a financial manager. Mm. But how do I go from being a financial analyst or financial manager into the sustainability group? Mm. How do I go from the sustainability group into the AI ethics group? How can mm. I make moves? I call them lane changing moves yes. as well. 
So the, the talent marketplace is bringing this whole new way of thinking, flow, opportunity, agency, and access into what's available to employees and managers. And in the four years that we've been implementing these solutions at Gloat with leading talent innovators, the energy and excitement, obviously from the HR and talent teams, yes. but from the employees and from the C-suite has been amazing. So you can hear my excitement wow. about it. Terry. I mean, I, I, I'm tingling because uh, <laughs> this, this to me is, uh, I love this and it chimes so much with the work that I'm focusing on my research this this idea of uh, a new meta uh, so return not return just return on investment but return on intelligence and return on imagination and return on attention sort of new human-led metrics where we actually get closer to value creation but also become elevate more of what makes us human I, I totally agree and I know this this um, sort of connects at least in my thinking yes to uh, to my book work disrupted yes and and to sort of the major theme of the book it's interesting you you write a book that's a few hundred pages and then people ask you to summarize it in a word or a in phrase or in a, or in a minute <laughs> yeah. right um and and you and i have talked about this we yes. talked about it when we were presenting in the at that the, the, mm. the bank at uae yes the, the the thesis of of my book really the summary of my thinking is that the 21st century is and work and careers in the 21st century is fundamentally different than the 20th century. Yes. And and one of the ways I summarize this in, is a quote from Albert Einstein. I joke, you yes. really can't go wrong if you quote Einstein, mm. who said something like, you, you cannot use an old map to yes. explore a new world. So true. And, and, we're, and as you and I have talked about, many people are still trying to do that. And there are some fundamental shifts going on. No, things are not only going faster. Mm. And uh, not everybody agrees with me on this, by mm. the way, Terrence. A lot of people um, think that the, the, the main difference today is that things are accelerating. Mm. But work and workforce and workplace have been accelerating for decades, mm. right? Certainly since Gordon Moore postulated Moore's Law in the early 1960s. Yes. Right? I mean, exponential change driven by technology is not a new idea. It's not a new idea, right. is it? No. No. And and so what we're trying to wrap our minds around mm. are what are the shifts that are going on? Mm. And what do we need to do to respond to those shifts? And we, we can talk about uh, some of them, right? Mm. Um, but I'll, I'll start with one that is so, it's right in front of our noses, right? Yes. Um, and it's the whole hybrid remote work piece. Mm. Um, and... Uh, you know, the data that I see reminds me mm. that in early 2020, something like 5% of the world's population that had a formal job, yes. I think it's about yes. 3 billion people who have what would be considered jobs in the formal sector. Yes. But 5% yes. of that group were working remotely in some way or telecommuting in part. Mm. By May of 2020, the number was over 50%. Mm. Anybody who could work remotely was working remotely, and they were actually working, and productivity went up. I yeah. mean, we saw some amazing things. That is a 10x change mm, in a few months, mm. right? When was the last time that you saw a 10x change in the workforce yes. in that yes. period of time? And what's been interesting about that mm. is 
where do we go with that going forward? And, and right, just so, to jump in quickly here, please. this is this you know again resonates so much with with me, and it will resonate with the listeners, which is something that you said you've written about and said which is we should not waste this this moment this is the the biggest moment for reframing and reimagining and this idea now to pivot from adaptation to reimagination absolutely and i think that that sort of is a way of summarizing where we are look in the last two years uh, you know um we're all reflecting on the fact that at the end of 2019, mm. we all had plans for the 2020s. <laughs> yes. And then 2020 came and suddenly those plans weren't particularly relevant or <laughs> particularly appropriate. I read in because... your book, like, I think it was, uh, you'd been traveling somewhere in the world every month, every week for 20 exactly. years. And then uh, I think you were a, just uh, yeah, a trip to Israel in March. And then it just, that was it. It was, it was what I call the big jolt just a, a massive shift in how what happens to humanity a big a big pause it was a pause but it's interesting you know I, I, i'm not sure it was a pause mm. it i think i really like the idea that it was a big jolt yes. it was a big change yes. that we were that we were put into and what's been so interesting to me about the remote and hybrid piece mm. is the initial response and we're still going through this response is so who needs to be back in the office mm. and how many days they need to be back in the office? And these became the two fundamental strategic questions mm. around workplace. Mm. Um, and yet- Are they the I right questions suggest... to be asking? Uh, are we getting to, are leaders out there getting too obsessed with the ratio of days and who's in and who's not? I, I think that, the question of what are the questions that leaders should be asking mm. in and I don't want to use the same word too many times in the same sentence. Mm. What questions we ask as leaders is one of the most powerful things that we do. Yes. And so to make a, a, a point in two different ways, when we talk about hybrid and remote, mm. I don't think the question is who should be back in the office how, and how many days, mm. but perhaps the question is, how do we manage and develop a workforce where a significant percentage of people are working on premise, a significant percentage are working off premise all the time, and a significant percentage are working in a hybrid mode between them? And how do we, from a managerial perspective and a culture perspective and a management practices perspective mm -hmm. and an employee flexibility perspective, create a way of working mm. that embraces all the options that we have. Yes. And, and, I, and I think the larger point, mm. Terrence, which to me is the really interesting question in 2022, mm. it, as we discussed a few minutes ago, in 2020 and 2021, we had to adapt. Mm. We had to react. We had to respond. We had to focus on our ability to be resilient and get things done in new ways. And uh, I think what most of us saw was that workers, especially the closer you were to where the work was being done, mm. the closer you were to what families were actually doing, that's where the adaptability and resilience was the most intense. Yes. Right. But 2022 and 2023 are about building on that resilience and adaptability into what you and I have been talking about mm. is this age of reimagining work, yes. of reframing work, mm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very different period. And the, the, the opportunity, if you're a business leader or a manager mm-hmm. or anybody who's working, which is kind of a few billion of us, yes. is what is possible given the changes that we have and seen. This is, and for, for me, this is just so empowering because I think out there in the world, there's still too much fake empowerment. There's a real focus on positive vibes and talking the talk. But then you look at the way that, um, you know, management's still done and in many organizations, it still seems like it's a playbook out of the 1950s. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think the challenge that we have, in fact, I, I, I mentioned a, 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 as we started, I teach a course at the MBA program and executive ed programs at Columbia Business School. Yes. And the, 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 the basic thesis, the basic theme we explore in the class is what are the mental models and frameworks that we need to be great leaders in the 21st century? And how are they different exactly. than the 20th century? Can we use a 20th century management canon mm-hmm. in order to lead in the 21st century. And one of our colleagues, Doug Reddy, who's a, a senior lecturer at MIT at the Sloan Management School, mm-hmm. uh, puts it very well. I interviewed him for my book. He's an yes. absolute delightful thought leader. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Doug talks about the opportunity and the power that executives have today to construct bold leadership narratives, yes. new leadership narratives that really embrace where we are and where we're going. The way that I talk about it, wearing my uh, gloat hat, is to change the game, you need to make game-changing moves. Yes. You can change the game and adopt this sort of incremental optimization. Let's just get the workflow right. Let's focus only on productivity. Um, Of course, we need to focus on productivity and efficiency and workflow and output. But we also need to focus on new outcomes, imagination, augmentation, collaboration, imagination, and new ways of working. And I think that's where Doug is leading us, which is, is your leadership narrative bold enough, right? Are you doing things that are really taking advantage of what's happening? And are you writing, are you writing the headlines that you want to be able to read about your company in 2023, 2024, and 2025. It's, it's, it's another great call to action, this idea of getting our listeners to really think about what should be those big, bold uh, leadership narratives and success, success headlines and those future milestones. And as part of that uh, sort of process, that journey, conversations to get started, next step actions, I recently spent some time um, speaking at Pfizer and got to meet a number of the senior executives there. And we spoke about the idea of unlearning as a leadership narrative, this idea of unlearning the always done ways. And this and this sort of the framing of that is that obviously today's the slowest it will ever be in a lifetime. The rate of unlearning actually needs to really step up the velocity of unlearning and there seems there doesn't seem to be enough kind of debate it seems to be almost a blind spot that and, and we're kind of hardwired as human beings to add complexity and add priorities and be additive in our approach and this idea of i have a, a sort of bias to sub, subtraction and elimination and i wanted to get a sense from you you know what's what are your thoughts in terms of this idea this platform of unlearning and what would you say are one or two of the biggest 
mindsets or practices or behaviors that need to be unlearned to truly thrive and, and make those game-changing moves yeah, this is a this is a great a great question obviously adam grant talks a lot about this in his yes. recent book um i think this is one of the fundamental challenges that we that we're facing right now um which is you know it remind it reminds me of the the early days of of bpr business process reengineering terence yes. when um we challenged ourselves to ask the question as opposed to adding an incremental layer of improvement on top of what we did before on top of what we did before that and on top of what we did before that mm. is there an opportunity to take a clean sheet of paper and is there an opportunity to unlearn to take a, a fresh view mm. at, around what is the context mm. and what are we trying to get done and how we can do it differently today. Mm. So I, I could not agree with that um, more. It's mm. as much, and this is something I talk about in my book, it's something many of us are talking about now. Mm. It's the role that leaders play as designers, mm. as inventors, as creators, but really as co-designers, mm. co-inventors and co-creators, because we're doing this not as leadership teams, we're doing it with our employees, with our customers, with our suppliers, mm -hmm. with a whole ecosystem. We're, we're, we're taking on this um, creation mindset, this innovation mindset, this design mindset. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of unlearning. Yes. Part of unlearning yes. is going back and taking, looking at things with a fresh eye. And mm -hmm. I'll, I'll just give a couple of examples yes. of things that are fundamentally different that we're having a hard time seeing actually yes. Jillian Fett, who's the and, editor and one of the this and and as you as uh, just before you d dive into that it reminds yes. me of a, a great word that I was reminded of recently which I think is another nice theme for 2022 which is reperception the idea uh -huh. of identifying new blind spots in the existing world well, I like I love the idea of of reperception. It reminds me of of the work and discussions I've had with Jillian Tett, who's the yes, senior yes. one of the senior editors of the Financial Times, who has been helping us all think about the role of cultural anthropology. Yes, um, and another great and how book, we think by about, the way. That, can you remember the well, book? her recent book? Yes. Um, and then her book a few years ago, yes, uh, The Silo yes, Effect, which uh, is, is a, in my mind, is a, is a classic. Mm. But one of the things she talks about is that, that fish don't see the water. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and so we're, we're all fish and we all don't see the water. And the, yeah. the context, the water that we're swimming in is different. Mm. A career, a life is not 40 or 50 years. It's mm. not... You, you get an education or a technical training and you work for 20 or 25 years and you retire, mm -hmm. right? It's We're living, as Linda Grant and Andrew Scott yes. have articulated for us, we're living 100-year mm -hmm. lives mm -hmm. with careers that may last 50 or 60 years, mm -hmm. with careers that are multiple chapters. And these are chapters of, of ongoing reinvention. Mm -hmm. um, so how do we organize the way we think about work and our lives like that? Mm -hmm. What we saw in the last couple of years we're recording this um, uh, on Zoom. Yes. Um, basically, our personal lives and our work lives have—I don't want to say they've collided—they have become open to each other in ways that we never saw before. We always had kids and family and dogs and cats and very, delivery uh, people in the background, but we sort of pretended 
that we had a work life and a personal life. We have one life. That's you, it's integrated. In your book, Work Disrupted, uh, a brilliant book, uh, so illustrated by Tom Fishburne. And there's a fantastic illustration which really captures this. Uh, so it's, uh, I'll describe it for our listeners. Uh, you know, there's a guy, he says, wow, everything has completely changed. They must have traveled at least 10 years into the future. And there's a time machine next to him. And then on the on the Zoom screen, there's a lady saying, "Actually, it's only been ten weeks." <laughs> oh no! And this is the, one of the one of the great quotes. And there's been a lot of fantastic yes. thinking about what's happened. Anne Marie Slaughter, and this was inspired by uh, a piece that Anne Marie Slaughter, who was president of New America, which is a, a think tank uh, in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, Anne-Marie said in March of 2020, I think the third week in March 2020, which Mm. is pretty prescient, right, Um, (laughs) that the coronavirus and its economic and social aftermaths are like a time machine to the future. And things that we thought would take five or 10 years are taking five or 10 weeks and in some cases, five or 10 days. And she saw that. And some, I didn't, I didn't see that, by the way, in March of 2020. Mm. Um, and we've all been living through that. I think one of the, one of the things that I find amusing and engaging about where we are mm. and something you and I think here is people mm. engage us and they say, oh, you're a futurist, Terrence. You're a futurist, Jeff. What's going to happen? And yes. I sometimes chuckle and say, if you've lived through the last yes. two years, you're a futurist now. Yes. You've seen the future. What we're trying to figure out is where are we going to drive it yes. going forward? Just such an exciting time in terms of possibility. People talk about disruption, but actually I think this is the age of wonder, the age of, of possibility. And I wanted to um, jump onto uh, this theme of, you know, this word, the great resignation and or the big mm-hmm. quit. Uh, I think it's uh, mm-hmm. Professor Anthony Claude spoke about that. And you mentioned two researchers that, um, that wrote a great article in the Harvard Business Review recently, uh, Joseph Fuller and William Kerr, speaking about the idea that actually the great resignation might be a continuation of a longer term trend and they explore these different factors. And tell me more about that, because you know, I think that was a really interesting uh, piece, this idea of what's new in thought leadership about the future of work. Yeah, so this the, the whole question, uh, I mean, uh, um, Joe and Bill's piece, I think are phenomenal. The other piece that I keep coming back to on the great resignation, which is a piece that was written by um heather long who is a a writer for the washington post Mm. and she wrote in may of 2021 so may of 2021 was was just after we began to see the the first time we saw the four million people Mm. voluntarily quit their jobs in the united states which was uh, an eye-popping number at the time i mean in february the last month for which we had the data was 4.3 million i mean the number has been it's been a very high number for um the last year Mm. Um, And it's telling us something about what employees want. And Heather uses a phrase that I I still believe is the one that I like the most, Yes. which is, is it a great resignation? Yes. Is it a great reshuffling? Yes. Yes. But the phrase that Heather Long uses is, it's the great reassessment. Nice. And employees are asking themselves, reflecting on the last two years, Mm. who do I want to work for? Mm. Where do I want to work? What are the values of the company? that I'm working for? Mm. What are they offering me in terms of flexibility and where I work? Mm. What are they offering me, as we talked about a few minutes ago, Mm. in terms of growth opportunities, Mm. right? 
employees, none of us wants to be seen as a widget. None of us wants to be, be none of us wants to be part of a labor supply chain. Yes. Right. Right. We are people. Mm. Right. And we are, as you've used words already, mm. we are curious. Mm. Right. People grow. People mm. constantly change. Mm. And, and this is, I think, the reassessment and the realignment that we're mm. seeing. We're seeing a view on the workforce and work mm. that is more and more focused mm. on, and we use the word, we want a more human centric approach, but yes. what does that mean? Yes. That part of that means that what I can do and what I would like to do mm. is as important as what I have already done. Mm. And this is sort of the fundamental piece that I think we've seen in the last couple of years. Mm. It's absolutely key to what we're doing at Gloat and the mm. whole talent marketplace world, mm. which is, employees are much more than what their resume says. Yes, or put another yes. way, Terrence, you are not what I recruited you to do mm. and the jobs that you have done since you joined. Mm. You are much more complicated. You are much more interesting. Mm. You are not just a collection of skills, but you are a combination of skills and interests and aspirations mm. and values. Mm. And that's what we're trying to capture mm. today. And I think that's part of what the great reassessment um, um, is about is about structuring work and careers and workplaces so that we can take advantage of this curiosity mm. and this potential, mm. right? The potential of the workers that we have is so untapped in so many organizations. Fascinating. It's fascinating. Yes. This is uh, so so true to my heart. I, you know, I use this uh, sort of metaphor of a lobster going through a process known as exodysis, where to jump out of the shell, they have to show both vulnerability and courage. And <laughs> as I think as humans, as like you say, it's uh, the, 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 the fact is, the bottom line is, uh, for too long, we've been treated in a uh, sort of uh, unhuman way in terms of very mechanistic and now is the inflection point, the catalyst to reposition to the future and elevate that uh, that human centr centricity. Well, in the way the way that I I close the book, there are three chapters in in Work Disrupted that I think are um, increasingly even more relevant in uh, in 2022, 2023, 2024. Yeah. I, I talk about the mindsets that are critical for us going forward. So obviously we've yes. been talking and about how work has changed. We haven't spoken very much about automation, but mm -hmm. how work is becoming automated, how all of us are going to be working next to and with smart machines and robots and, and, um, um, uh, and software uh, and AI as part of our work. Mm -hmm. We've talked about how the workforce is changing, the great resignation. Uh, we're also seeing the growth of workforce ecosystems, mm. people who are working with different employment models, and of course, how the workplace is changing. Mm. But, but fundamentally, what that leaves us with is, so what do we do about that? Mm. What is the reframing, mm. to go back to a, a word that we've used yes. in today's discussion, how do I reframe this as an individual? Mm. How do I reframe this as a business leader? Mm. And how do I reframe this mm. as a member of a community and a member of a society, mm. um, which we all are. Mm. And, and this to me is one of the most interesting sort of uh, challenges for us today, mm. which is sort of the first one, I, I actually have seven mindset shifts for, mm. for each one of these personas, if you will, the individual, the business leader and, and members of society. Mm. But number one is the growth mindset. Mm. 
yes. from Carol Dweck, yes. right? which is, yes. do we see the world as fixed or do we see the world as an opportunity um, uh, for growth? Do we see our lives as sort of a linear standardized career or do we think of ourselves living hundred year lives with multi-chapter careers? Do we see ourselves yes. as, as leaders, as supervisors and compliance managers with clipboards <laughs> or do we see ourselves as designers and team builders, yes. right? Um, so these are these are sort of the mindset shifts that I think are very interesting. Mm. And now that we are in 2022 and 2023, mm. and and at a point where hopefully very soon we will be able to be living with mm. COVID versus COVID sort of framing how we live. Yes, I think the time to think about these mindset shifts is exactly the right thing to be thinking about for leaders and for workers the sort of mindset shift and this idea of some some that i've been writing about and speaking about recently also to add include boss to unbossed and ego to eco and command and control to care and co-creation and the start of your book uh, another great quote um the difficulty is not so much in developing new ideas as in escaping from old ones John yes. Maynard Keynes yes. and sort of coming to a sort of final couple of minutes uh, with our listeners today. And, and by the way, I think this is just the beginning of our, our conversation. We'll, we're going to have to do a part two um, later on in the year. But um, in terms of some final calls to action today, thinking about this moment of liminality that our leaders face, one foot in a pre-COVID world, secure, predictable, but also lots of these leadership models and business models going off like yogurt in the fridge, a foot in a new world of possibility and opportunity. What would be some final reframing moments, questions, yeah. stretch conversations for, for people to get started on this journey? Yeah, I, I, I love this question. And I think I think the opportunity right now for business leaders and for us as individuals and members of communities mm. is to take advantage of the questions that we can ask right now. Yes. Um, um, this is one of the most powerful things we get to do as leaders and as individuals is to frame the question and decide what's important. One of the ways I would summarize it, uh, Terrence, for you and our listeners today is in the last couple of years, we have seen not just acceleration, but changes in work, how people and technology work together, how the workforce is changing, expectations and the shift to marketplaces and ecosystems. Mm -hmm. And of course, the workplace changes that we've talked about. If work, workforces and workplaces are disrupted, mm -hmm then the way that we lead and the way that we manage and the way that we organize our careers and the way that we organize our work probably need to be disrupted as well. Yes. And I think the opportunity right now is for all of us to be asking the question, are we taking advantage mm. of the disruption that's going on? Mm. Or is the disruption taking advantage of us? Yes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right? And all of these things are departure points. I mean, uh, yes. I'll just give one, yes. one small yes. example where um, we're debating um, around the world, do we go to a four-day work week? Mm. Um, the five-day work week is about 100 years old. Mm. Henry Ford implemented it in the mid-1920s in his factories in the United States. Mm. And it was a brilliant, innovative move mm. 
100 years ago, mm. right? What are the innovative moves that we should be thinking about today? Because you never go from a five-day work week back to a six-day work week, mm. right? There, we're not going backwards. Are we pushing forward enough? And I'll, I'll end with mm. this um, observation. I think it is a call to action. Mm. Um, uh, years ago, 20 years ago, when I joined Deloitte um, as a leader, uh, we were working with John Cotter, of course, who's uh, one of the world's leading experts on change management, yes. and Dan Cohn, one of our partners, and we wrote the, the Heart of Change and the Heart of Change Field Guide. Mm. And one of the things we talked about was that leaders get to write the headlines for the future. Mm. I think this is an amazing time to sit down with your teams and ask the question, what do you want your 2022 and 2023 and 2024 annual report to say that you did that changed the game? Mm. What are you afraid that you're not doing, that your competitors are doing, that you're thinking, you know what, we got to watch out because if we don't move on this front, we're going to be left behind, mm. right? And that's, it's a comment I made a few minutes ago and I will repeat it. In order to change the game, you need to make game-changing moves. And yes. thinking about, look, of course we need to focus on core operations, productivity, employee well-being there's no question that we need to focus on the fundamentals mm. but we need to focus on the fundamentals and ask these probing curious wonder questions that you mentioned mm. and really think about how we're changing the game and there are a lot of ways to do that i think talent marketplaces is part of it reframing careers is part of it mm. um the the growth mindset is part of it um the role of values and societal and climate issues are part of it there's a lot on the agenda, but hopefully people are approaching this with the energy and excitement that I think you and I are generating in the conversation yes. we're having today. I mean, this this is it. I think uh, what questions, what's the bravest or boldest question leaders should be asking and what questions do they want to be re remembered for and when uncertainty is high actually questions matter more than answers and i know there's a bit of news that you wanted to share as well which i think is absolutely um exciting for me a new book coming out i think next year around the rise of the workforce ecosystems and can you share some insights no, it, yes yes exactly yes. I'm, I'm 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 glad to mention it we're 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 just uh, putting the finishing touches on this over the next couple of weeks um, I've been working um, with Liz Altman, who's a professor at, at uh, UMass um, at Lowell, and uh, David Kieran, who's an editor at Slow Management Review, mm -hmm. and Robin Jones, who's a partner who runs Workforce Transformation at Deloitte. Mm -hmm. And the four of us have pulled together our thinking over the last three years on talent markets and workforce ecosystems, um, looking at um, what are the management practices, what are the technology challenges, what are the integration mm. um, uh, challenges and what are the strategies mm. um, and societal implications of moving into a world of workforce ecosystems? Mm. And it really starts with the most fundamental of questions, Terrence, mm. which yes. is who and what is the workforce yes. in the 21st century? Mm. And it is very different than it was before. Mm. And that led us into this wonderful exploration of understanding traditional employees, mm. um, external workers, gig workers, crowdsourcing, complementators, technology in the workforce. And it is building on what we talked about today, mm. a fundamental reframing mm. of who and what is the workforce. And of course, if who and what is the workforce changes, 
then how we lead and manage and govern and orchestrate mm. will change as well. And that will be out in, in uh, 2023. Um, and we're right. really excited about this contribution. Jeff, it's been an absolute pleasure today. And I know we're going to be continuing the conversation and also meeting again, I hope, in the near future to have another you know, fantastic catalytic uh, reframing conversation and I want to say to our listeners your your current book um, which, which came out quite recently as well work disrupted opportunity resilience and growth in the accelerated future of work is out now it's got incredible illustrations from Tom Fishburne which I love which really capture the zeitgeist the inflection points it's out with the publisher Wiley and it's a great book that really for our listeners to go in at a more granular level on all the discussion themes of today. It's uh, it's a book I, I really do recommend. So it's been a delight to, to catch up with you today. And thank you so much. Thank you, Terence. I really enjoyed it. I loved my conversation with Jeff today and the urgent call to action that we shouldn't waste the biggest reframing moments of our lifetimes. Make this the year that you do something bold because leadership is never finished. Culture is never finished. Learning and transformation never finished. Make it the year that you turn uncertainty into action, fight complexity with simplicity, adopt new agile ways of leading and working, and say goodbye to the status quo. As Albert Einstein said, you can't use an old map to explore a new world.